along right there in the bulletin, the, the text that we're going to be studying together. Matthew 16, starting, in, or sorry, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great gift of grace that you've given to us, your word, and that you've given us your spirit, that we might be enabled to understand your word and apply your word into our individual lives, into our community's life. And Lord, we long to hear from you, that you would speak deeply to our souls. And so we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds now as we uh, set our minds to study your word. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So for the next three months or so, uh, now until Good Friday, we are doing an in-depth study into the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross. And we've been looking at Matthew the last, actually is our fifth year in Matthew. We've been taking it in chunks. And, uh, and we're looking at these last, uh, Matthew 26 and 27 are the, the last two days leading up to uh, Jesus' death on the cross. And, um, and looking at what does it mean. Each passage, as we go through these two chapters slowly, will show us kind of a different aspect of what the cross means. And so, for example, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we saw the first meaning of the cross was that God was becoming an outcast on the cross, the cross is the place of the outcast, and God became an outcast so that he might bring outcasts into his family. It's a profound aspect of what the cross is about. And then last week, we looked at a totally different meaning of the cross, is that the cross is God's answer to the problem of evil. You know, why is there evil, you know, what is, how can there be a good God and there's evil in the world? What has God done about the evil in the world? The main thing he's done is the cross. There's profound answers, layers to the answer to that question. And so, um, this week, though, uh, we turn to one of the most central meanings of the cross, that Jesus dies for the forgiveness of our sins. And you, maybe you saw that there in verse 28, as Jesus is doing the Last Supper, and the Last Supper is about, is a picture of the cross, right? Jesus' body was broken, and his blood uh, was sh- you know, shed for us. And then it says in verse 28, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
And so when we ask the question, why did Jesus die? Of course, many of you know that, that the cross is God's act of forgiveness towards us as individuals and a huma- humanity as a whole. This is the way that God has said, I'm offering you forgiveness for all the wrongs that you, that you have done to me and to each other. And uh, I think, you know, it's a very common question for people to ask, why was it necessary that Jesus died in order for God to forgive us? You know, Jesus dying for, to forgive sins kind of sounds like a primitive idea that there's this angry God who needs blood shed in order to his, appease his wrath. You know, it's not what kind of the pagans believed in. And, you know, we forgive one another all the time, right? You know, I forgive. No one needs to die in order to forgive one another. And so if we can do it, why can't God just forgive us? And you just say, I forgive you. And I think, you know, that's a great question. So this morning we're going to explore the dynamics of forgiveness What does it mean for God to forgive us through the cross of Jesus? And I'd like to explore that question of these three headings. That first, forgiveness demands an offense. You can't forgive someone unless they've done something wrong. So that's the first part to understand forgiveness. You've got to understand there's an offense there. The second thing is that forgiveness demands a covenant. That's something about God's forgiveness is a covenant structure. That might be a new word to you. We'll explain. What is a covenant? And then the third thing is that forgiveness demands a faith. Our response to God's forgiveness is faith. Okay? So three things this morning. The first is this. Forgiveness demands an offense. And I think that one of the main reasons that our culture does not understand why, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and God forgiving us, why are we making such a big deal about that, is because, you know, as a culture, we've been trained to think very positive thoughts about ourselves. You know, we're a culture of self-esteem. And so I think we often underestimate the kind of gravity of the wrong, you know, the things that are wrong with us. We don't want to look at the things that are wrong with us. That's going to give me a low self-esteem. So I need to think very highly of myself. And so there's a certain blindness to, you know, our flaws and the ways that we wrong God and the ways that we hurt each other. And actually, you know, this passage is very interesting because Jesus, you know, it's the Last Supper and Jesus does this meal for his disciples. He says, this is my body's going to be broken for the, and my blood shed to forgive your sins. And he's saying to them up front, your sins are going to need to be forgiven. And I don't think the disciples are really aware of that because in the next passage I read to you, Jesus has this conversation where he says, listen, I'm going to get arrested and you're all going to run away from me. You're not even going to be there. They're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. And then he says, look at verse 33 again. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And of course, if you know the story, uh, Peter just hours after this is going to deny, say he doesn't even know Jesus in just a few hours, three times. He's totally going to deny him. And Peter is totally blind to his cowardice, his disloyalty, his unfaithfulness. He is not aware that that is even in him. That's a part of it. He doesn't view himself that way. And you will not understand the cross and God's forgiveness unless you know that there is something in your heart that is actually an offense to the good creator who's made this world. That the evil in the world is not just something that's far away that you know drug dealers do or gang members do or ISIS does. That's not just the evil that's in the world is in each one of our hearts. It needs to be faced and dealt with. 
And so if you say something like, well, you know, of course God is going to forgive me. God loves everybody. He just forgives everybody. If you say something like that, you've not felt the gravity of what needs to be forgiven. You've not felt the offense. And so let me, you know, give you an example. Let's say I'm, my wife Shannon and I are having dinner with a group of people. And during dinner at some point, you know, I tell some humiliating story about Shannon. There are no humiliating stories. Well, let's say there was. And, and it, you know, just kind of embarrassing you, a very private matter, and I make light of it, and everyone has a good laugh, and she's totally humiliated and shamed in front of these people. And one of you comes up to me and just be like, that was awful. Why did you tell this story in front of everyone? And I'm just like, well, you know, she'll forgive me. That's what wives do. They forgive everything, right? They, she loves me. What would you say? Well, first you say, I'm a jerk, and what's wrong with you? Don't talk like that. But the second thing you would say is that I have not really felt the gravity of the hurt that I've done. If I'm kind of breezy about being forgiven, you know, just kind of cavalier, of course she's going to forgive me. It means it's an indication that I haven't felt the magnitude of, of how badly I've hurt her. And if I was really horrified by what I had done, I would by no means take her forgiveness for granted. And if she did forgive me, I would have been, I'd be deeply humbled by it. I would, not be, I would not think it was automatic by any means. And this illustrates precisely the problem with how our, future, our culture views God's forgiveness is we take it for granted because we haven't felt the magnitude of our contribution to evil in the world. And until we feel some sense that, you know, God made this world and he made us for purposes to, to show the world what he is like, to love our neighbors, and that loving our neighbor, you know, loving God and loving our neighbor is, that's just two simple laws that he's given to us. They are broken every day of our life. Every day of our life. I mean, actually, it's the rare exception that when we actually do that, it's like, well, it was a miracle that that happened. That I love God with all my heart and love my neighbor as myself. It was a miracle if that happens. And so our whole life is a defiance against God's laws, and to say, well, of course he's going to forgive me. Why is that obvious? That is not obvious at all. And when we feel the gravity of that, then uh, unless we feel the gravity, Jesus' death on the cross will never make sense to us. Because forgiveness always involves a death. Forgiveness always involves a death. If any of you have had to deeply forgive someone, for a deep wrong that's been done to you. You know that, that is, you're accepting suffering in your life. You know, for example, if, if, you know, a, if a married couple, one, one partner in, the, in a marriage uh, cheats on the other one, you know, commits adultery. And if, if the one who's been wrong decides, you know, I'm going I'm to forgive them, I'm going to welcome them back. What they're saying is that the shame of that betrayal Instead of putting it on the person who did the wrong, I'm going to take it myself. And I'm going to live with this person who betrayed me. It's going to be, that is going to be suffering. I'm willing to take that death upon myself in order to keep the relationship intact. That is what forgiveness, deep forgiveness always looks like. And if you turn to page three in your bulletin, there's a quote there from Tim Keller in his, his book, The Reason for God, where he has a chapter where he talks about forgiveness. And this is This is what he says. Forgiveness means bearing the cost instead of making the wrongdoer do it. So you can reach out in love to seek your enemy's renewal and change. Forgiveness means absorbing the debt of the sin yourself. 
Everyone who forgives great evil goes through a death and into resurrection and experiences nails, blood, sweat, and tears. And then he goes on later in the page. You don't have this printed there, but this is what he says. God did not then inflict pain on someone else, but rather on the cross absorbed the pain, violence, and evil of the world into himself. Therefore, the God of the Bible is not like the primitive deities who demanded our blood for their wrath to be appeased. Rather, this is a God who becomes human and offers his own lifeblood in order to honor moral justice and merciful love so that someday he can destroy all evil without destroying us. And so the first place for us to understand forgiveness and the forgiveness that's offered to us in the cross of Jesus, we have to see the magnitude of that there's something wrong with us, something wrong with humanity, and that lives inside of each one of us. And we will only understand the depths of the cross when we understand the depths of our own sin. So first, forgiveness demands an offense that needs to be forgiven. The second thing we see in this passage is that forgiveness also demands a covenant. A covenant. And you'll notice that word from the Old Testament. Is you, Jesus picks up on that in verse 28 again, where he says, For this is my blood of the covenant. Now what Jesus is doing there, he's actually quoting a passage from uh, Exodus 24. If you know the story of Exodus Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, they were slaves in Egypt. Moses led them you know, out of, out of, away from Pharaoh and they went through the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness. And three months after they left Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai. And that is Mount Sinai is where they were given the Ten Commandments through Moses. And there was this whole covenant-making ceremony where God gave them these laws and he says, you're going to live with me. And actually they had this whole washing ceremony that they did before. It was like a baptism that the whole nation went through. And then at the end... All the elders went and they ate with God and it was like, that's how you form this relationship. And there's this one part where there are all these sacrifices and Moses takes the blood of these sacrifices and he sprinkles it on all the people. And it's kind of this solemn oath-making time where God is saying, you are my people. You belong to me and I'm going to be your God. And so when you ask, you know, what is a covenant? A simple way to put it is a covenant is a relationship that is built on promises. You know, like in a marriage, you say, I'm going to be your husband, you're going you're to be my wife. God says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. It's a relationship that's bound together with promises. Uh, and so there are two aspects of covenant making in the Bible that are really essential for us to understand forgiveness that we see in this passage. Okay, a couple of things about covenants. The first is this. A covenant in the Bible is an act of grace. The relationship is always formed as an act of grace because the covenant relationships in the Bible are always initiated by God. It's always God's idea. So it's like a covenant is when the king, God's a great king, comes down to us and says, you know what, I'm going to start a relationship with you. And, uh, um, and you know, for example, if you, you know the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, Abraham was worshiping other gods in Mesopotamia. And God says to Abraham, you're going to be my... I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he calls him. It was God's idea. Abraham didn't even think of it. God comes against him. He puts him in a new land. He says, you know, I'm going to be your God and you're going to, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. It was an act of grace. Actually, many of you know that way, that that's been true in your life, that it wasn't your idea to have a relationship with God. You know, you weren't looking for God when he came into your life. God kept putting people in your life who were talking to you and, you know, asking you questions about who God were, inviting you to church. Or maybe you grew up in a Christian family. You wouldn't even choose that. You just 
pop, you're born into a Christian family, you grow up hearing the gospel, and you're in a church. None of these things we chose. It was an act of God's grace to come and pursue us. It was a gift. And you can hear the emphasis on giving in these verses. Listen to how Jesus talks. Verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. It's a gift. Verse 27. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. It was a gift. Now this is an important thing, because not many actually all of us by nature, do not approach our relationship to God as a gift. We just don't think that way. Deep down, we believe that a relationship with God, knowing God, being close to God, is something that we must work for and earn. It's, that's our default, is to think that God wants me to work and to earn his favor. And so, for example, you know, maybe some of you have had this experience. If you're experiencing a tremendous amount of anxiety in your life about something's happening, and you say, oh, man, everything's I'm having a really hard time. You know, I really think it's time that I go to God and pray to him. I need his help. I need his presence. I need his strength. And as you're thinking about that, you say, well, you know, I don't, I don't even know if there's really a point in me going to God and talking to him about this, because, you know, I haven't, I've really not been close to him. Maybe it's this last week. Maybe it's this last six months. Maybe it's this last six years. You know, I just really haven't been close to him. I don't read the Bible. I haven't really been engaged in church. And what's going to happen if I go before God and now I start praying right when I'm on my knee? What's he going to do? He's going to say like, oh, you think you just ignore me all this time and now you can come and just pray and ask for my help? And he say, what's the point? I'm not even going to ask him. I'm not even going to ask him because I know that I don't deserve it. If you've had a thought like that, I mean, I, I've had that thought. I've had that thought as a preacher, asking God to help me with a sermon. I'm like, well, I don't know if he's going to listen to me because I didn't quite pray enough this week. And all, what we're operating on is that God relates to us based on our works and not on his goodness. You're functionally saying my relationship to God is based on my good works and not on his grace. Do you know that it is God's joy to forgive our sins. You know that story of the prodigal son, where the son, he runs off and he squanders his father's inheritance and he's with, on prostitutes and he has no money, and then he prepares this whole speech where he's going to come home, he's going to, I'm going to tell my father, I'm going to apologize, I'm going to be his slave. And as soon as there, he's even on the horizon, what happens? The father runs to him and joyfully throws a party and says, my son's home, I return to him. That is what God loves to do. That is his character, is to celebrate that when we turn to him, it's to forgive us and receive us in his grace. And if you're here this morning and you think, you know, I have a lot of work to do to get myself right with God again, I want you to hear the good news of the gospel. You don't have work to do. You don't have a long march home to get yourself right. In Jesus, your sins are washed as a gift. It is a gift. It is free. But these are God's terms. God is the king, and he says, the forgiveness is free, but I will only give it to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we know that we're in the wrong, we can't be in the place to say, well, God, that's not, I don't want to be forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross. I want to be forgiven directly. We, how can we say that to God? How do we know what is necessary for cosmic forgiveness, <laughs> you know, to be reconciled to God? How can I say that the cross is not necessary? God says, these are my terms, 
and it's a free gift. And so the first thing about a covenant is it's always an act of grace. It's initiated by God, and it's a free gift. The second thing about a covenant that's important for forgiveness is that a covenant is a sealed promise. It is a, you know, it's an oath. It is a vow that God makes, and which is an important thing. You know, when you think about a covenant as this, you know, an oath or a vow, you, you know, that sounds kind of impersonal to us. But for many of us, we base our sense of whether God forgives us based on our feelings. You know, sometimes I feel really close to God. Sometimes I feel far from God. And if I feel far from God, I feel really guilty. And, you know, probably God's upset. Maybe my sins aren't forgiven now. And so we judge our status with God based on our emotional life, which is constantly fluctuating and changing. It's very subjective. And so um, we, um, and that's how we, we associate our status with our feelings. And that's why Jesus, in this scene, as he's telling his disciples about the forgiveness of sins, he uses this meal, this concrete meal of the bread and wine, which is a seal to them of their status in Christ. And, you know, I know many of you, you know, you've come to our church and you haven't been in a church where you take communion every week. And at first you're like, wow, we take communion every week. That's, you know, that's different. And then many people say after a couple of years of doing it, they'd say, you know what, actually, I think that's the most important moment of my whole week is like coming to that table. And you know, the sermon's good, Nate, but like coming to the Lord's table and receiving from him, I realize that this is the thing that is shaping and defining my whole identity. This is where God is telling me who I am, and my emotions are all over the place all week, and I struggle, and I have doubts, but all of a sudden I come here, and God has received me through his table. And it's not something that's subjective, it's something concrete, and so my identity is stable. There is a stable identity that comes through the covenant where God uses these concrete signs and seals to say to us, to confirm to us who we are as his children. And so by saying forgiveness comes to us in a covenant is to say that, first of all, it's purely an act of grace. We don't work for it. And it has this immovable stability to it. It doesn't fluctuate with our holiness or our goodness. It doesn't fluctuate with our emotions. It's a stable identity. And you learn the objective presence of the forgiveness of God through the concrete rite of communion. That's how God assures you of his love for you. Okay? But now this raises a question. You say, okay, wow, covenant is something God the king initiates, right? And it's this grace that he pours out on us. And now, don't we have some part in this? Are we supposed to respond to God's grace? What, you know, what's our side of forgiveness? And this is the third thing we see in this passage, is that forgiveness demands a faith. The Bible tells us that the way that we respond to God's grace is by believing in Jesus. And some of you may have asked that before, you know, what is faith? I know the Bible talks about faith. What does that mean to believe in Jesus? You know, does that just mean I kind of, I know in my head that he's the son of God? Or, you know, what does it mean to believe? Well, a couple things we see in this passage. The first thing is that faith means receiving. To believe in the Lord is to receive the gift that he has given to us. And you notice in this passage, there's two commandments. Two commandments in the passage, what are they? Verse 26 Take and eat. Verse 27, drink of it. <laughs> you, God commands you to drink deeply of the grace that he gives to you. That's what you're commanded to do, is to receive what he's given to you. Uh, is to receive his grace. That's what faith is, is to resting in. 
trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. And now, many of us, that act of receiving, that's, that's not a natural thing. Because for many of us, have been conditioned just the opposite way. Maybe some of you have grown up in homes where the thing that you've been trained is, you know, there's no handouts. Okay? You work hard, and you get what you deserve. And you get a paycheck. And if you want something, you're going to work hard for it. And people should, people should get what they've worked for. And that's a whole understanding that you might apply to yourself, you apply to God, you probably apply to other people, that the way the world works is by you work hard and you get what you earn. And that's actually the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is all about God giving us forgiveness we didn't earn, a salvation and eternal life we didn't deserve, and new life we didn't even think to ask for. And some of you say, well, isn't it, shouldn't, don't we have to be obedient? Don't we have to give our life to God? And of course, God does want obedience from us. But I just want you to imagine the person who says, you know, I had nothing to offer God, and he has forgiven me by his grace. He sought me out, he brought me in, he made me one of his children. And that's the defining thing in their heart, is that they know the grace of God in Jesus. What is that person going to be like? If you really know that God has embraced you freely, what are you going to be like? You're going to be joyful profound joy, humble. You've, you, I, didn't, I, I can't be proud of anything I do. I, mean, I, I can't be arrogant. Look, I, I, I didn't do anything for God. It was free grace. Compassionate. I look at how God has treated me. He's been so compassionate to me. I can only be compassionate and patient. God has been so patient with me. I've sinned and sinned and sinned and he sticks with me. And I have to be patient with other people. And you go through all that list, you all of a sudden, that's what obedience looks like. That's what God wants from us. That's the kind of people is the grace makes us into the kind of people he calls us to be. It's like a byproduct. And that's the amazing paradox of faith, is that it's about receiving, and yet as a byproduct, we end up doing the works of God. And you know, the opposite, if your principle is I'm into earning your own, working for everything, and getting what you deserve... What is your spirit going to be like towards people if that's your principle? You're going to be critical, easily agitated, maybe greedy or stingy. Which principle are we operating on? And the principle that God wants us to operate on is one of receiving and resting in his grace. So that's, that's the first quality of faith, is receiving. But the second quality of faith that we see in this passage is that faith means joining a community. And you'll notice in this passage that there's a very communal component to this passage. Look at verse 27 again. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. Some of you do as a, together as a family. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And what Jesus imagines is when he forgives sins, the first thing that's going to happen is a community is formed. All these people who come together who have experienced that forgiveness. And that's precisely the mark of what our community is called to be, a place of the forgiven. That people would come in here and say, you know what, these people aren't the, you know, the righteous, the arrogant, the, the people who work hard for God and God loves them. That should not be the feel when someone comes in here. Someone should come in here and say, these are sinners who have been sweetened, who have been softened, who have been made loving because God has been so profoundly loving to them. And they have an open welcome to anyone who walks in these doors. That becomes the thing that must define us. And you know, 
our identities, how you see yourself is always defined by your community. Right? I remember when I was a teenager, I had a bunch of friends who all skateboarded, and I was I'm very bad balance, and you know I'm kind of awkward and stuff like that. And I couldn't skateboard for a lick. But you know when I was friends with them, what would you always see me having? I had a skateboard with me because that's what my friends do, and I want to be a part of the group. And I'm a skateboarder. That's my identity because your community defines who you are and ingrains in you what you're passionate about and who you are. And the deepest work that has to happen in each one of us is for us to learn to receive and embrace the grace of God that he's given to us in Jesus and to rest and to trust in it. You cannot learn that on your own. You cannot learn that by yourself. God needs to put you around other people so when your emotions are going up and down, you're like, I don't know if I'm close to God, I don't know what my status is, you come into the community of people who believe in the forgiveness and they tell you who you are. They tell you what your identity is. And that is the thing that's going to bury it deep down in your soul. And so what does this passage teach us about forgiveness? Important insights. We can't understand forgiveness unless we know the offense, that there's something wrong with our souls. You'll never understand it. We also understand that the stability of forgiveness because of the covenant nature, it is sealed to us in this covenant promise-making that God has given to us, and it's purely an act of grace. And so our response is simply to receive and rest in the grace that God has shown to us and join the community of those who've received and have made the cross the center of our life together. Let's pray together.